0: From TMP to TTNG For sure the care And those tired meme jeans Hella Kinsella and the promise ring Sunny day real estate And rights this spring Prince Twinkle Daddy's Help keep the dream alive I constantly thank God for Algernon And Remo Christie from drive. Mineral snowing high-tide hotelier and more. Rio Limo only consists of the DC emotive hardcore. So i
1: think it's time to yeah, it's fine. time to start okay we'll start right now what's popping everyone it's episode 46 of the e-word a random episode uh we're throwing this in here because the list just came out like about a month ago uh or yeah about a month ago when this will come out this is going to be the, the episode that we tackle the 100 greatest emo songs of all time list that appeared on vulture uh written by ian cohen david anthony Nina Kokorin, Emma Garland, and Brad Nelson. I am Kyle, recording here in Madison, Wisconsin, and I am joined by Ellie over there in Austin, Texas. uh, This is going to be great, because
2: we're homies with three out of five of these people, (laughs) so we get to just kind of like rip into them.
1: (laughs) Uh, And we are joined by two other guests. We have invited uh, Collins, a repeat guest. Collins, what's up?
3: Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: uh, you play in the band Closure. Yes, that's correct. And what episode were you on again? We've had Collins on once or twice.
3: Uh once so far. It was <laughs> me and Robert and Ben. Actually, I think it was yeah, I think Ben was there as well.
1: Yeah. And we also have <laughs> Seth, who has not been on the podcast. Seth, you are uh, the owner and operator of Repeater Records.
4: Yeah, my um, there's two of us. My friend Chris Berry and I. Run repeater records and we uh, reissue punk and hardcore.
2: Yeah, and the thing that uh, ended up having us connect with each other is you're doing the reissue of that U and I discography, right? Yes. Um, and which is going to include the Curtain Falls, which was not included on the previous U uh, and I discography.
4: Yep, that's right. Yeah. we, the Curtain Falls, is the is the the main thing that sets this one apart from that that other collection.
2: I honestly am just really happy that uh, Repeater, and there was another label a while back that was kind of doing this, but I think they maybe have slowed down a little bit, but Archivist, just kind of reintroducing a lot of old, out-of-print Screamo stuff to the streaming audience, which I think is important because to some degree I think a lot of what drew people to Screamo back in, like, like the early 2010s uh, when the wave was happening was there was this kind of exclusivity factor because a lot of the shit was out of print and you had to like trawl through all these old media fire and blogspot. Just, ju- just the absolute dregs like risking a, a virus every time you tried to download like page 99 or whatever. But I, I really do appreciate uh, Repeater Records making like vinyl reissues and streaming accessible for this sort of
1: stuff. And uh, busting those fucking discogs prices down. Oh yeah,
4: <laughs> that's a that's a uh, a huge part of it. That and kind of how it started with us is we the discogs prices were <laughs> just ridiculous. Yeah, we were like, well,
1: <laughs> yeah. I had like all the versions of gospel in my want list, and now I don't have to bite the bullet on a hundred twenty dollars. Now I can mail order it for twenty five.
4: <laughs> that's with shipping. <laughs>
2: Yeah, <laughs> any other any other uh, specific releases in the back catalog that you want to shout out besides you and I? Uh,
4: City of Caterpillar, who are on the list. Fuck That's yeah. A good one. It was a a good um, a good segue into talking about the the record label was the fact that we have one of the the self-titled songs on this top hundred list.
1: I I, I just kind of wanted to squeeze in a question here about like. Is it hard to convince these bands with out-of-print records to put them back in print or to, like, trust you to do it or anything like that?
4: Um, it's been pretty easy so far, actually. Uh, um, my old band played with most of the bands we've released. And um, every, so it was easy to, you know, be like, hey, I remember when we played together? We're doing this record label. And uh, the same with uh, But uh, Broken Hearts Are Blue. We didn't, yeah. yeah, never played with them or anything, but uh, they were very, uh, very easy to talk to and trusted us pretty, pretty quickly. It was great, cool.
2: Yeah, that reissue was like a whole like remastering endeavor too,
4: right? Yeah, that was the the band uh, the band remastered it and they were looking for a, a label, sort of like tongue in cheek, and then mm-hmm. I I uh, hit them up.
2: Um, and I also do want to thank you personally for. Putting Funeral Diners The Underdark on streaming, finally.
4: That that was pretty easy. I know know a guy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like uh, this list would have been uh, much different if people still read Forfa.com.
1: Shout out to Andy. All right. um, So, Collins, what's up with closure these days?
3: uh closure is uh i'm actually going to um finish the record tonight we're doing our first full length um so that's exciting um i think it'll be out probably about mid-april we're getting um as soon as it's done recording we're kind of just hitting the hitting the mixing and mastering process pretty hard because we um are kind of uh impatient to put it out it's been a been a long time in the making and i'm just super stoked about it we have a couple uh, a couple tours coming up. We have uh, old. We're touring with Old Soul, um, a counterintuitive band. Um, they're really awesome, so we're really excited to be out on the road with them. Um, playing with Grad Life, King of Heck, later in the month, which is going to be fun. It's always cool to be able to hang out with them. I um, only get to see them like once in a while, and yeah, we've just been we've been busy with shows and busy with writing the record. It's just been a really um, it's been a really hectic time, but it's been a lot of fun, and I'm really excited to get the to get the record out. Fuck yeah. Um, I think this is actually a really
2: good group of people to discuss this list because Collins, who is in uh, newer wave, uh, twinklier, maybe more uh, pop-oriented emo band. We also got Seth, who specializes in the older stuff, the more emotive, hardcore-driven stuff. And we have Kyle and I, who are just straight-up nerds. And additionally, Seth is representing the West Coast – yeah. We got Collins out in Syracuse, Dallas, Midwest, and I'm in Texas, the South. East Coast, West Coast, down South Midwest. Nowadays, everybody knows how to get fresh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you plan that ahead of time?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I just
1: have atmosphere lyrics stuck in my head. Um, <laughs> every moment of every day. Honestly, um, I think this is the second also, time we've had someone from the West Coast, which is like a fucking shame. I plan, like, I want to play an episode where we specifically talk about like West Coast, California, Bay Area, specific, uh, emo. Cause like it's yeah, so yeah. unrepresented on this podcast. It, it truly is.
2: And it also is a scene that's like real close to my heart. Cause, uh, that there, there was a lot of traveling to, uh, California from Las Vegas uh, for shows mm-hmm. when I was I was coming up so um, yeah I think right now it's just been Seth and Alex from Heavy Sacking right Yep. yep. well yeah. Shannon from Awake but still in bed but that was oh that's true yeah San Jose so yeah that I, this is the last thing but I I that person who was talking shit on us tried to claim that we talked shit on retirement party and Awake but still in bed which is <laughs> Insane since Chan's been on, yeah. and we always talk up retirement party. Yeah. <clears throat> uh,
1: so the hundred greatest emo songs of all time, a sweeping look at rock's most mis- misunderstood genre, came out on Vulture.com uh, I don't read this website at all, but it seems like a big, a big up listicle to come out for now. this website. Um, I mean, yeah,
2: this is the, this is huge, uh, especially since Vulture is mostly more known for their, I think, television coverage yeah. more than anything. But it's it's really cool. This list has also been in the making since January twenty nineteen, as David Anthony pointed out mm-hmm. uh, when he was on. Um, and there's a couple. I, I I know a couple behind the scenes facts. Like for instance, Little Peep was supposed to be on this list, um, but they. <laughs> They they like rejiggered the ordering and who was included something like twenty times in the lead up to to it coming out. I think Glass Beach was also on this list at one point. Wow. Do we want to do we want to talk about this little intro bust this essay up here at the beginning?
4: I first off that Ian McKay quote. While well, I think they chose it because they wanted to like be kind of inflammatory, but that there's a little context left out of it that I think is kind of important to talk about is after that, after he said that quote that opens it up, the the stupidest fucking thing I've heard in my entire life, Ian McKay on emo core in 1987, he went on to say after that, that there was when was hardcore, not emotional. That was like, right. That was part of the quote. Yeah. And it's, it, it's kind of, you know, cutting it down to just that one sentence is sort of not doing ian mckay any favors it's not doing the you know the context of what they're talking about any favors and they're just it's just kind of unnecessary off like that
2: i think the they're they're doing it for like the juxtaposition between you know the fact that they're about to do the 100 greatest emo songs of all time and one of the founders of the genre Dis the term, uh,
4: but that's. Uh, well, yeah. I feel I mean, like, of it, course, but the, but it just seems like it, it just it just you know they're just taking the quote and chopping it down, to, like, prove their point instead of, showing like uh, you know providing the whole quote. I was I, I, sure, I, I, Yeah, that, that no, all I, really, I, like, they're not like, all rubbed yeah. me a little. me a little wrong.
2: I I understand where you're coming from, but I also think a uh, part of it is just kind of like. Showing that like the disdain for the term and like kind of like the self-loathing for being involved in it has been uh, central to emo's DNA from the get-go. Um, I've also always appreciated that uh, Ian said that he, he was reading in his Thrasher the other day that apparently we are emo
4: core. I still read Thrasher.
2: Does any Does anyone else here still read Thrasher?
4: No, nope. I don't anymore. Nope. But I found so I found so many bands from Thrasher in the in the nineties. <laughs>
2: yeah, they just uh, they just did an interview with Higher power in the most recent issue because I have a subscription to Thrasher. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was pretty it was a pretty cool interview. I didn't realize that the higher power kids were so into Molly
0: <laughs> <Don't really>. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> yeah, dude the, so basically, the like the thrust of the higher power interview was just like a, how many drugs they did, and b, how crazy it is that Americans have guns. <laughs> um at one point they like they saw they found like a like a dead body like just like a like a dead guy slumped over in his car while they were on tour so hardcore bands still love them life. <laughs> I, I feel uh that perhaps in this intro bust there is a bit too much attention paid to the fact that they couldn't put brand new on this list i feel like they lamented that at some great length at the end of the day, I I feel like they did this because they knew a lot of people were going to be like, why is Brand New not on this list? Uh, but also, I do know that Ian Cohen uh, is a big Separate art from Artist Person and would have absolutely put Brand New on this list if he could.
3: I heard, I heard Brand New for the first time a couple years ago. Didn't really like it. Yeah, I'll be honest. I wasn't a huge fan either. I haven't listened to them in a long time, but i don't remember i remember everybody really enjoying it uh, you know in high school and whatnot but i just never really never really clicked for me yeah they were a big deal for me uh for a long time i think they were for a lot of people which is like what it's so difficult about the whole like situation for i mean most everybody is that it's like kind of one of us have to like let that go
2: one of the very first uh episodes we ever did we actually kind of discussed the brand new thing at length because it was breaking at the time and Go back and listen to that episode. You can actually hear me starting to cry a little bit talking about it.
1: That's the that's the essence of emo. I think. <laughs> I'm surprised that there isn't any of those brand new adjacent circle bands on this list because there's no Manchester, no Kevin Devine, yeah,
2: yeah, no Bad Books. But I think the the reason for that is because I personally would consider those bands much more solidly indie rock, like not even really emo adjacent. Of course, yeah.
4: Well, they didn't um, stop them with a few other things. So. I know, <laughs> that is
0: true.
2: <laughs> Kyle, do you agree with the statement? Cloud Nothing's twenty twelve album, Attack on Memory,
1: sounded like a Steve Albini produced Get Up Kids. Never heard Get Up Kids in their music. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> Steve Albini on record from Cloud or er, from Cloud Nothing's record about producing that album was him not talking in the studio, playing Scrabble on his iPad and pressing record. <laughs> That's a classic Steve Albini quote. <laughs> it's weird because I've seen a lot of these takes in this pre-write-up on Twitter from, like, Ian Cohen. <laughs> like, him yeah, him talking about, like, guitar rock dying and, like, Cloud Nothings. Yeah, I think this is a good uh, preamble to this list. Um, I do agree that there's a, an odd amount of brand new talk.
2: But aside from the brand new talk, this definitely just seems like a best of Ian Cohen Twitter compilation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
3: So. Oh, sparkle so, Punk was mentioned. I like oh,
2: that. Yeah, that's right. That is one of like the greatest embarrassments of my life is coining the term Sparkle Punk. <laughs> um, probably, <laughs> uh, probably that, and the fact that when I first heard the term vape pen, I thought it was Bape pen, as in like a <laughs> pen produced by the streetwear breathing ape. Um, those, those are two of my biggest personal fumbles, I think.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, do, do we want to get into it? Yeah, we're in, I don't think we mentioned this, but we're going to go 100 through one. So we start off with number 100, which is Forest with Tamago, Tomago from their 2016 album.
4: Never heard of him.
2: Well, um, I appreciate that they're throwing in some international diversity on this list right mm-hmm. off the bat. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's kind of like acknowledging the write up here: China's Chinese football and Japan's falls. And shout out to Toe. I feel like Toe is not emo, but they are uh, probably one of the the biggest like overarching influences on a lot of a lot of specifically Asian emo. I think because a lot of bands from that scene tend to incorporate their kind of like post rock and. And math rock influences even out to you know more more screamo bands like kevin in her arms is envy on this list No. Nope. now that i mentioned that nope. no Envy's not on the list well shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh, forests are good aren't they on hiatus now though they are Yep. they are yeah i feel like this write up might have been written before they went on hiatus because it's kind of described as if they are still a band forests are trying to remind everyone that emo exists beyond western borders
3: um, I think they're actually. I heard talks about a, um, them coming back. I think their drummer went to study in Australia, or something oh, like word. that, like some sort of international study program. So, I don't know. I I, I don't really follow Forest too much, but I thought I heard something about a, a possible reunion. Word. Uh, but I think this is a pretty good starting point for the list.
2: Honestly, yeah. um, it's it's recent, um, but not iconoclastic. Uh, solid kickoff. Mm-hmm. Then 99 Jejun This afternoon's malady. I feel like no one uh, listens to Jejun anymore.
1: That was my yeah, that, that, I,
4: that was a that was a surprising second choice for me. I I, I loved J. June when they were around and uh, saw him a few times. Their their drummer had one of the best drum faces of any drummer I've ever seen. <laughs> and if you can yeah find a video of the drummer playing, it's it is spectacular. This band's um, not on Spotify, I mean, I just, which
2: is interesting. It, no. and it's it's real upsetting, um because I do think actually, like, if the kids were able to rediscover Jejune um now, they'd probably be really into it because mm-hmm. there's a lot of like the jangle pop thing going on, yeah, i I feel like Johnny Mars influence on guitar work is not as much of. The, an influence on emo as people like to make it out to be, but I actually do hear it in Jejun. Yeah, absolutely. And the back and forth vocal harmonies, I think are something that I, if like, if you're into like future teens, you'd probably be really
4: into Jejun.
1: So yeah, this is a good shout. Is this Um, like their, the one song or like, is this like their best song according to people?
4: It depends on who you talk to. Okay. But I think the, uh, the song on, uh, the Jimmy world, uh, Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. Yes. Three-way split. I think that's their best song, yeah. personally.
2: And I believe there's like a weird printing error with that song because it's on a, like a like a compilation, Jazun Je did, um, as well like a compilation of Jejun songs. I mean, and it's under a different name. Um, yeah. No. The Jimmy. The Jimmy World split is very solid. Jimmy World had a ton of fucking great splits. The Christie Front Drive split is also yes. like god tier. Oh, shit. The Van Pelt. Uh, so, Seth, I'm curious as to your thoughts about this. Um, so this is the, this is ex-native nod. Yeah. Um, and do you feel like maybe the Van Pelt are, don't get enough credit like when it comes to that transition between for, within email from a mode of hardcore to
4: something more indie rock oriented? I mean, I I don't know if they it, they don't get enough credit, but the, it's the it's just like Chris Leo's output was just so solid. All the Native Nod songs are amazing, and he wrote them when he was like 16. I I think that every everything he did then, and even into Vague Angels, is just great. I, he's a, a hell of a songwriter. This is a phenomenal
2: songwriter, and I would take uh, the Vampel over any Ted Leo and the Pharmacist record. Really, I any I Ted have, Leo you record? You don't have to put except... brother
4: against brother, but
2: yeah, <laughs> I sure. Um, really, but I really any Ted Leo record except for uh, Citizens Arrest, which I do love.
1: I think the Van Pelt played a bunch of shows on the Cap and Jazz reunion, so even if they're underrated, I think they're still getting in front of people. If that matters, yeah, I think they're. I think they're going to go
2: down, unfortunately, as maybe like mid tier in popularity, but '98. On a 100 best email songs of all time list, um, on a huge publication, that probably maybe in an in another time
1: would not have acknowledged a band like
2: this. I think it's pretty good.
1: Um, I always associate the Van Pelt with one band that is criminally left off this list, and I'll probably forget it. But Karate is not on the li- on this list, and that's uh, fucked oh. up. Oh,
2: right, yeah, Karate. Neither is Rai Coalition. <laughs> Which is, there's
4: uh, a, there's a lot so of there's a lot of omissions
2: mm-hmm. and, yeah
4: and the the one of the weirdest things I know we'll get we'll talk about this later, but some bands got multiple songs on this yes, list yes yeah. which is yes. which is really unnecessary
2: I feel like the if you're going to make a list like this, it should be one song per band and leave the highest number yeah. of song on. Yeah, exactly. Band. Yeah. One band in particular who I love has two songs on this list, and I think that, that that was a mistake, personally. But we'll get to that later. 97,
4: Copeland, Paula Sparks. How do we feel about Copeland? It's another one I've never heard, unfortunately.
2: Have you ever listened to the band
4: Park? I, I, I'm not familiar with them either.
2: Um, they kind of lie within the park realm, I think, mm-hmm. of like more, more glistening emo pop
4: i i don't know if i
2: would have put copeland on this list in 2020 maybe in like 2005 if i was making this list
3: yeah i personally Um, like really this it's like emo poppy like the the beginnings of it i feel like like thought like the falsetto and the vocals and and like this oh for sure i think for for me like i mean you know like where my where my tastes lie but um I think that this stuff is kind of, I think that this stuff is sick. And I think it was super important. And especially getting later down the list with bands like Panic and MCR and stuff. I feel like this stuff kind of started to like pave the way for emo pop. I once I wrote to a
1: tweet making fun of people specifically that like bands like this that were like dudes in 2011 were starting blog spots because they had the thought. What happened to the format in Copeland? <laughs> because like shout out to the format because together because <laughs> like that there was that specific time of like copeland and the format and i'm gonna throw in a band like limb and it was like all these like emo like emo adjacent indie like not on major label type of bands that were that like all broke up around the same time and like the same like thousand people just kept Remembering them like three years later, and like tried to write about them and stuff.
2: Um, I do. I do want to uh, <coughs> specify that I, I actually very much enjoy Copeland. Um, but is uh, I believe Aaron Marsh wrote um, the final song on their "Only Chasing Safety" by Underoath. He wrote the lyrics to that, um, and which is why that song in particular is very like faithy more like very christian right um so early early shout out on this list to the christian emo contingent um
4: they, so didn't, have Ro- seems... they didn't have roadside monument
2: <laughs> is uh is further seems forever on here i don't know are
4: shouted out in the intro yeah okay. they didn't they didn't quite make it
2: i think i might have picked further seems forever over copeland but that's just me um 96 Panic at the Disco Lying is the most fun a girl can have Without taking her clothes off um, Which I feel like this song title uh, Could be construed As misogynist um, It's a quote from the movie Closer It's followed up by the second half of the quote uh, The song but it's better if you do Hey Collins Yes. Talk
3: about Panic at the Disco Because I know you got feelings I love Panic at the Disco I think that Brendon Yuri is one of the one of the best uh, vocalists of the genre of all time, if not probably the most talented and consistent vocalist um, of the genre. Um, and honestly, I would say like the past like couple at least couple of decades for me, I just think that his live performance is so impressive. His range is incredible. His improvement over the years is insane, too. Like it's pretty rare to see a, um, especially a vocalist, improve over like you know the years. Um, Brendan Urie started when he was, I think, like the band was super young. I think they were like 16 when they got signed to like to Fall Out Boy's record or record label. Uh, to decadence, to decadence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they started out, and he was young, which is understandable that his vocal his vocal performance might not be super consistent and whatnot. But I mean, the fact that he's still going today and, and has improved so much is it's it's extremely impressive to me. He's always been a huge influence in terms of vocals. I think like as a band, Panic has my favorite like aesthetic, like the Cirque de Soleil, like Moulin Rouge, sort of like weird, um, almost like steampunky aesthetic, I think was like super important for them for the first record. I like that each record has like a sort of um, concept to it. Um they're very consistent thematically, which I I love. in, in terms of uh, you know full lengths, especially with bands like My Chem and stuff like that, I think I think Panic did a really good job. Um, I wish Brennan would have killed it. <laughs> like I wish he would have just done solo stuff, um, preferably after the fourth record. I think it's
2: weird. I feel almost like Panic at the Disco, um, the material they're putting out now would be more even more popular if brendan was selling himself as a solo artist because that
3: is what it is at this point i completely agree it's it's just and i i don't think that bands um owe it to anybody to sound son to remain sonically similar to their old stuff i like when bands grow and i like when bands sound completely different that's why i love afi um they're one of my favorite bands and they each record changes almost completely you know you'd, you'd be hard Press to find an AFI record, unless you're talking the the mid '90s stuff that sounds the same. So I don't think that <laughs> the Panic owes it to them to anybody to 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 sound the same. But I do think that right now it's so dramatically different that it should just be a Brendan Yuri like Brendan Yuri And I think that it would do a lot better if it was if it wasn't Panic at the Disco because Panic at the Disco you hear. And you're like, oh, that's the, you know, that's the Groom's Bright as a horror band or whatever, right? Like that's the Chime Door band, and it's just, it hasn't really been the same um, for a long time. But I, I think that they're one of the 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 best emo pop bands like ever. Um, I, I, I would, it's hard. I I personally just like I'm so, I have I have just stopped caring about like oh it's just technically true emo sort of thing. I'll say it like Panic! of the Disco was integral to the to the genre, and I don't care if you think they're emo or not. But I think that they're an amazing band, regardless of what you want to categorize them as. Word.
2: Uh, that's one perspective. Uh, Seth, do you have another perspective on Panic! of the Disco? Um,
4: I, the a band, I don't really have an opinion on. I think that I think that yeah, they, I I do think that they're important for that like that wave of of kind of pop punk emo stuff. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's, I think that one record's really funny where they obviously heard the band for the first time (laughs) 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 and then started like wearing hats and stuff. That was, that's about all I got on panic at the disco.
2: Where? And Kyle third perspective on panic at the disco.
4: I
1: think more specifically on the song, I think it's kind of a bold pick. I think you could easily put a bigger hit, uh, no other opinion.
3: Uh, I like yeah, this
1: one. I I don't think I would have picked this song. I would have picked
2: Build God, Then We'll Talk. Yeah. It um, ha- does a better job of like uh, incorporating like the Baroque and Cabaret influences into mm-hmm. more of an overarching emo pop song structure. But I do think Panic of the Disco uh, deserves a spot on this list in so much as uh, A Fever You Can't Sweat Out really represents like the end point of hardcore's influence on emo pop because uh, aside from Brendan really loving uh, Every Time I Die uh, Panic of the Disco was one of the first emo pop bands that didn't really come from any sort of uh, DIY background as David Anthony points out here and as I pointed out in my piece on this record they probably are one of the best candidates for like the industry plant accusation because um, they just had a lot of help right from the get go um, but uh, I do I do really love this record I think as just like pop songwriting it really shines I think I think it is uh, historically important to put it here and that's my take 95 dad's shit twins
3: hell I yeah believe, I can't believe dad's is on here because you I heard like their
2: assholes no <laughs>
3: I, like, I like dad's it's just to me it's just funny that it's just like there was this whole fuck dad's thing for so long that was, I don't know if it was unfounded or not. I wasn't really involved in emo in 2012. I only got the story from Austin from camping in Alaska. And I don't think Austin is the most <laughs> like unbiased person when it comes to talking about dads. I just think that it's funny that they're on here. I think I I do think they're a great band though. I think that this, I think this song in particular, like got a lot of people into into the genre.
2: Yeah. Half the thrust of the fuck dad's train was because dads were, the top of the fucking heap for emo revival, like mm-hmm. at this time, maybe second only to Algernon. And I, I believe after this, their place kind of got usurped by The World Is a Beautiful Place. Dads were fucking huge. Mm-hmm. This is their best song, I think. So this is a this is a good pick.
3: I mean, leave it to like DIY emo kids to like hate on a new band that is popular. <laughs> I don't think the hate it started, started
1: until like 2015, ish. I mean, like the hate as in like uh, the fuck dads coming with an accusation here and there. Not on our emo, but
2: I definitely remember this era. Uh, there was some shit talk about them, like in the punknews.org comment sections, for sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
4: I didn't know about I didn't know about any of that drama at all. I thought they were a good band.
2: Yeah, they're they're a good band. I. Uh, saw them once with Tiger's Jaw and Touche Amore and they fucking killed it. They did not, however, play this song. <laughs> so that's a, that's could have been old. a better show. Yeah. yeah. Ooh shit. 94 Evergreen. A couple curled up pictures. This is the this is the more Emotive Hardcore Evergreen. There was a different one, uh, that was like more Midwesty. But this is I in my opinion, uh, the better Evergreen Nina Korkorin put this one on the list And she is Throughout this list a champion of Some of the more underrepresented uh, Emotive hardcore bands throughout the 90s This is a this is a great band And a great song
4: Yeah I'm a huge Evergreen fan And if anybody in the band is listening to this And wants to put out a discography on Repeater Records Get in touch nah. <laughs> That's, yeah. Yeah.
1: This is semi-obscure right Like you would have to dig to find this band
4: Yeah a little bit, yeah, yeah. Okay. They're they're really, um, really great. I, they it, every everything they put out is is amazing, and that rec that LP they put out is really hard to find, and just an amazing record. <laughs> and they the hated were really great too.
2: I feel like uh, the hated is another band that in a different world probably would have been on this list, um, but. I I think that I, I'm i not sure how what I make of the contrast between uh, or sorry, like the comparison between Evergreen and the Hated, because I feel like the Hated uh, were more into like like constructing soundscapes. They had like lots of like longer songs that just kind of like rode these chiming, driving, like octave chord riffs for like four minutes to eight minutes at a time. Um and evergreen i think is a bit more structured and purposeful than that
3: yeah that's a good take
4: i like that
2: (laughs) Collins, you ever listen to evergreen
3: yeah um there's just something about the um this this era of music that i i love um i'm not super well versed in it but it's just something i don't know if it's the recording or or what or what exactly does it but just the way that, that the vocal melodies are kind of derived I think it's just really it's just really nice for me to hear um, I don't know like like they put it here like meandering guitar lines um, mixed with the 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 way that they the kind of long drawn- out melody um, it's not super complex I think for me it's just really cool um, I hadn't listened to evergreen before I before I listened uh, before I checked out the list but I think that, that it's a cool addition especially if, if you're trying to get into that um, that you know 90s mid 90s um kind of uh kind of stuff
2: i think it's i think it's cool nina is kind of like like i said earlier is kind of like a champion of my favorite genre of emo on this list which is uh emo in between rights of string but before midwest emo really uh became like the the definitive uh word on 90s emo uh just kind of that Elongated, desperate, cinematic mode of hardcore sound, and they're a they're a real good starting place for it.
4: Yeah, Nina, Nina definitely had my favorite picks on the, this whole list, and the, the, the evergreen popping up was a great uh, a great addition.
2: I really admire Nina for just being like representing my personal confluence of tastes in that she loves this shit, but her favorite band of all time is Blink One Eighty Two. Like that, (laughs) that to me, that's, that that to me is like everything about my personality, uh, when it comes to music. So hell yeah. (laughs) 93, Origami Angel, Dr. Hoomst. Uh, most recent pick on this list. Fucking great pick. I would have, like, as far as the specific song goes, I probably would have picked Say Less instead. I think that's the best song on this record. Uh, but fucking Phenomenal. Phenomenal song, phenomenal band, phenomenal people.
1: Is it too early? Is the question though?
2: I think if you're gonna put more recent songs on this list, you have to like within the last two years. You have to hedge your bets and put them a bit lower.
1: Yeah, and I also think that Origami Angel is totally a fitting band for that wave to put on here. If if any if
2: anyone is going to represent the current wave of emo on this list, I'm glad it's Origami Angel. And congrats on them on the recent signing to Counterintuitive. That's that's huge. Seth, you ever listen to Origami Angel? I haven't heard them yet. No.
4: Nope. There's, a, there's a few bands on here that I need to check out.
2: Yeah, they're, they're really good friends of ours. I am not sure how much they would comport with your tastes, but I think they do what they do.
4: I'm, really, a, pretty, really I'm well. a pretty well-rounded guy. I can, I can get into a lot of stuff. I,
2: I just mentioned that because there's like this, uh, as David points out, vocal melodies ripped from classic Fall out Boy records. Um, which I actually uh, didn't really hear until until he said that, but <laughs> it's totally there. Uh, 92, Crash of Rhinos. I've hardly listened does to I, this band. Does, they're good. Does
4: everyone... Like,
3: yeah. Don't, does, don't really would like
4: everyone call them emo? They're more pop punk, but they're great.
3: I, mean, I definitely hear like the, the revival kind of sound, like the hectic, like heavier, yelly vocal sort of thing. Yeah. I, n- I never really listened to this band a ton. It's on it, honestly,
2: I feel like it would have been this band or this town needs guns in this spot. Look, we'll kind of, kind of represent a British emo of this era, um, and I think Crash of Rhinos is a bit more traditionally emo than TTNG.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I would have agreed with TTNG on the list. As as awesome as they are, I don't, I don't know if I would really have. I never really considered them emo they have more math rock in your estimation yeah definitely i think just in in especially like the the uh vocal delivery and then the obviously the mathiness of the of the um the guitar work it's definitely way more reminiscent of of most math rock to me than is emo and lyrically lyrically too i think i don't really know if it's super lyrically they're super emo uh, I
2: enjoyed the shout out to the drummer because Crash of Rhinos has one of the best fucking drummers uh, of this era, for sure. Along with Dad's.
3: Yeah, Dad, didn't the Dad's drummer also do the vocals too? I think that's- Yeah, I was going to yeah. say. Yes. Crash of Rhinos drummer doesn't sing at the
4: same time. <laughs>
2: yeah. um, 91, Ethel Meserve. This band never ever gets the credit they deserve. And I am so beyond happy to see them on this list. Nina, again, says what I was going to say by pointing out they influenced Seisha, um, which is true. If I had to like describe Seisha's sound, it would probably be a combination of Ethel Masurva and Anasarka. The, the, this is one of, one of the bands that is most responsible for kind of the math rock wing of emo. They did it without ever sacrificing like the passion or intensity and I have always been a huge fan of them uh, from the first time that I heard them like many many years ago and I was pleasantly surprised
4: to see them here yeah I was too I, I thought that was a, a good pick it, you can trace like a sonic connection between them and all the way to you know the like newer waves of emo and it's uh, they're they're very underrated and it's good they made the
3: list. Yeah, this is like super reminiscent of just like what I think of as emo, like the, the yelly kind of vocals, the especially the lead guitar for some reason on this song, just like it's so reminiscent of what I think of as as the, you know, kind of epitome of the genre, which is cool. I like this band. Oh,
1: yeah. Sounds more timeless than some of the bands from this era that sound kind of more dated this one for some reason. I think it's just because you can trace it to what's going on now. It sounds timeless. Yeah, absolutely. So number 90 is a pick that I don't think I agree with at all. Yeah. Shake my head. SMH. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs)
4: SMDH. I'm going to have to opt out of this one too. I've never, I've never heard Los Campesinos, but the description doesn't sound like it, should be on this list.
1: I think if you're um, going to put this on your list, you need to argue for it. And I don't think the the write-up argues enough. why There's, a, there's,
4: there's enough good emo songs that you shouldn't have to argue to put one on this list. That's True.
2: A... <laughs> yes. So. Uh, the, so it says they, they self-proclaimed that they're the UK's first and only emo band, which, what the fuck? <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> That's a bold statement.
2: <laughs> that is that is an extremely bold statement even ian cohen in this write-up says that ov- they're overtly pavement worshiping and if there is like a dividing line uh between indie rock and emo i think it is when you pull more from pavement that that makes you more indie rock
3: <laughs> yeah i have nothing to say about this one <laughs> yeah. i mean like i'm not gonna have a great great band, band i'm not they're saying they're a i have nothing to say about it <laughs> I'm not
1: going to um, act like I haven't seen people try and call this band emo, including the band themselves. And it's just one of those things where it's like, yes, you can like this style of indie and like emo, but it doesn't make it emo.
2: I, the, just the way that they they stack their melodies is like completely more reminiscent of like even the fucking unicorns than yeah. anything remotely emo. You know, like they're they're the definition of kind of like a more polished version of the, like the fractured uh, indie rock stuff from the 90s, like Super Chunk. Well, maybe later Super Chunk. Um, and I just don't I don't understand them on this list whatsoever. Sorry, Ian. <laughs> uh, 89, the used Taste of Ink. I think Dina has her headphones on in the other room, so she can't hear me talking about the used, which she loathes with every fiber of her being. <laughs> One time I tried to put them on the ox; she, like, actually – the only other time she's been that serious about throwing me out of the car when I put something on the ox is 1,000 gex.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Good taste. Yeah. Oh, no, she just texted me a laughing emoji. Cool. <laughs> Um, but I fucking love the used, or at least the first two used records. Hell yeah! Like they were so extremely important to, uh, like the cresting of early 2000s post-hardcore. Like the used definitely benefit benefited from Thursday's Full Collapse and Glass Jaw's Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Silence. Uh, but they put like so much more of like a like a well-constructed pop spin on it. I think Bert is, like, one of the most underrated vocalists in this era. He has such a powerful scream. He actually has, like, a pretty shocking ability to hit high notes. As far as emo goes, he is, like, one of the most emotionally bulimic frontmen I have ever seen in my life. Like, you can listen to live recordings of them in this era, and he's singing so hard that he actually, like, would vomit on stage. This this band just to me represents like uh, you know like I I'm not from Utah but growing up I spent a lot of time there because that's where my grandparents lived. Kids who are into alternative culture in Utah dive into it so hard. It's not exactly all rural, but there just the kind of is like a, a glass ceiling on getting out of shitty white trash life, especially. If you're someone like Bert, who struggled with addiction to meth and yeah, alcoholism, and it, I, I don't know, I find I find a lot to admire about the Gu's ascent to popularity.
3: Yeah, that's I think that's a really great time in the in the genre. They just started, you know, with them and and Mike Hem releasing their first record around the same time, I think, two thousand two ish, and this just started the ascent to like, I feel like the last big like rock and roll bands. Oh yeah. I think now like you have bands that are bands, I guess that have like guitars and stuff in them and drums, but they're not really like rock and roll bands. I feel like that they use and my chem and, and so on were really the last kind of like, big rock and roll bands, which is, which is great that they started, you know,
2: it's weird to think about my chemical romance ascent a scent, like being uh, inextricable from the Used, and how much that that band boosted them, um, just how the friendship like helped both of their careers, uh, even until there was that weird falling out between them. But I, I really, I think the Used represent kind of uh, they they were a band for a, a contingent of people who felt alienated from the macho posturing of new metal but still wanted something more heavy and raw than like the strokes or whatever garage rock revival was happening at that time who wanted like the vulnerability and catchiness of pop punk without all the all the weird baggage that came with it and so I, I'm always going to appreciate the used for filling in that space.
1: Yeah, so I was eleven when this shit came out and I was kind of afraid by the used because they didn't try and hide anything. It seemed like they were all like putting it out there in their image and their lyrics. I mean, they had a song called Box of Sharp Objects. I was like, I'm not fucking listening to that
0: But <laughs> that's, this song that's was my
1: favorite song of theirs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like now I think this shit is like um like the songwriting there is a lot more complex than like i don't know just power chords and stuff and like song structure is really interesting yeah. too layered the bass melodies yeah. like are like actually like
2: sophisticated counterpoints and the drumming is incredible and credit to john feldman for the way that he produced the drums on this album because like you hit you feel every hit in Mm -hmm. your bones like it actually Mm -hmm. sounds like you're inside a giant room with the used playing around you
4: so yeah um lots of love for the used hey seth yeah how do you feel about (laughs) these oh i i've (laughs) never heard them it's another one of the one of my blind spots on this list they're worth
2: listening to because uh famously burt mccracken was uh heavily influenced by um blake donner who was a kid who was like in really into like the hardline and hard krishna scenes in utah like i said like when you're into alternative culture in utah you just dive into it and at one point he was giving up all his material possessions you know to become krishna and handed Bert a box with converge Sunny day real estate uh, and ink and dagger in it and you can definitely hear all those influences on this record just kind of
4: like in a more polished way that's pretty I I didn't know about the uh, the monster career connection. That's pretty great. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does the phrase grocery dividers mean to you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're
1: over an hour in, we've made it through twelve. We gotta pick it up.
4: Yeah.
2: Okay. All right. We're picking up the pace. Shopmaker. Ah oh, I fucking love
4: Shopmaker. Maybe Maybe my favorite band on this list. I believe
2: Andy from Funeral Diner or Funeral Diner adjacent um, described Shotmaker as a band that desperately wanted to play fast but somehow couldn't. So uh, they're just fucking vicious, like attached to the rhythm in such like uh, an inextricable way um every song feels like
4: a fucking explosion um yeah the, the bass and drums the bass the, like the rhythm section of Shotmaker is really like what sets them apart in in a huge way and they just like they just wrote such good songs like the the songs are flawless and and like they make it look so easy
2: i would advise anyone who was like listening to uh like these songs straight through to me, it's impossible to listen to Sky without listening to Shortwave Radio, which is the next song. Um, like uh, those two songs are such like a fucking one-two punch of an opener. Um, I I do think that they were kind of the band that was like, "Hey, Canada can play fucking pissed off emo too." And from Shotmaker, you can you know go to like One eyed God Prophecy or drift or human greed and kind of like see the like really like the the foundations being laid for screamo in a in a way that wouldn't happen in america until seisha and you and i came along (laughs) that's my take
4: there was there was definitely i mean there were definitely u.s bands that, that around the same time that we're um, like doing similar stuff, like reach out and um, oh, sure, like uh, Port- Sleeping Body or Honeywell, yeah, yeah, Honey Honeywell, Portraits of Past, like that. All you know, that, I think that's that. It was just such a, a a rich time for that genre to like grow and change. And I, yeah, Shotmaker is d- d- definitely one of the 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 best that did it at that time. Solid Canadian
2: representation all right uh 87 uh shout out to keith who has been on this podcast empire empire i was a lonely estate keep what you have built up here
1: should have been how to make love stay yeah (laughs) yeah
2: do you think that empire is probably the band that really the best at copying minerals and serenading um
1: Maybe in like I copied your homework type of way, but there's been like a lot of bands that have just taken the format or the song structure.
2: Oh, sure. I just mean like Empire. Empire did it in in a way that felt uniquely theirs. Yeah. You know. Yeah,
3: yeah. I agree. I definitely agree with that. I think they're super. Empire is super integral in the emo genre. I mean, there there are still kids to this day that I'll see posting on like emo Facebook groups like I just heard this band Empire Empire like what like what is what is like this like what else you know what else can I listen to that's similar to this and you know they're still making waves Count Your Lucky Stars is back they're signing new bands they're putting out music um, it's it's really cool to see the um, impact that Keith and, and Kathy have made on, on, the, on the scene I think I think without them there'd be um, it'd be different it'd definitely be different today
2: um fucking excellent song excellent band but you're right probably probably would have picked a different song um Hoover Electrolux I always felt alienated from other uh fans of old emo in that I don't get Hoover is that is that uh heretical to say
1: I think some of the kids are starting to get hip to Hoover to be honest yeah, um, and you I think feel that they're by that, super like, accessible. Yeah,
2: they're definitely good. I just don't get them. You know, they do the evil Fugazi thing, um, but I think the policy of three did it a little better. I, I I don't know. I just have I have a real hard time with Hoover. Not I'm not gonna dispute their spot on this list though. Like they are definitely important.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Hoover is, can can be a little. A little obtuse to get into, but they did the like DC uh like post hardcore, but with you know dub influences, like go go influences. They they did that in a uh, in a really uh, really good way. Um I think that the, the Lincoln Hoover split seven inches is, is one of the one of the, the better splits of that time.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. The two sided coin. It's so split. Good. Yeah, it's so I'm- good i do lovely me consider on that should i just should i just like give hoover another chance
4: i think i mean i i would but it's it's a it's a it's a matter of taste
2: yeah yeah i, I guess i just always prefer the more like outwardly ag- aggressive brand from this era of, of emo have you ever listened to hoover
3: i have not should i uh, I'm kind of getting mixed. I, I
2: think so. I, yeah. yeah. Uh, n- n- no, don't don't take my my like arguably asinine take on Hoover <laughs> like at face value. You should listen to mm. Hoover. I am really, actually, genuinely upset about this next pick. The Coy and Cambria, a favorite house Atlantic. I fucking hate this band. So I I'm hate this a, band. I, I like the band enormous pile of shit banned. So
4: <laughs> not, not not really interested not really interested in talking about Coheed and Cambridge.
3: Yeah I've nothing <laughs> yeah. I have nothing to say about Coheed.
1: So Koheed has made like multiple of these big publication lists and I have yet to do my own research as to what makes Koheed emo. Like do they have like an do they have like a DIY history or anything like that?
4: Yeah. No? They, they came up in the, the DIY scene, but that's about it. Okay. <laughs> like
2: I mean, yes, something to be said for coming up in the DIY scene. I guess I just never heard, like, the DIY emo influence ever.
3: Oh, Um, shit. I have a story about Coheed and Cambria. Actually, this is kind of crazy. Speak on it. So (laughs) it's going to get ruined. Usually I'll tell this story to Coheed fans without, like, really, like, much preamble. But essentially I have a friend named Jeff Watkins who owns a local comic book store in Syracuse. Um he was super. Uh, he was actually one of the one of the guys that uh, booked Hellfest, the original Hellfest um, for those first few years. Um, you know, the the big one for me being Hellfest 2003 with MyChem mm-hmm. on there. Um, so Jeff has been super integral in the music scene and in the, the DIY scene in Syracuse forever. He used to manage um, Shibuti back in the day. And um <laughs> And so they were playing, they, they got this last minute slot at a, um, at a, at a show and you know, it's like 2000 and it's like 1999 or 2000 or some shit like that. I don't know what year it was. Um, but it was around the time where like, you know, the, like the, the, the cliche, like there's a, there's a studio rapper, a label rap in the audience. And he's like, I like that band. Like you got Moxie kid. And, uh, so he went up, he went up to Jeff and was like, this band Shibuti is pretty fucking good. And Jeff was like, yeah, I'm actually their manager, you know, like, you know, we've been working on a lot of stuff, you know, we're excited and this and that. And he's like, he's like, I want to sign him to my label. And he's like, cool, cool. He's like, but the name's got to fucking go. Shibuti, what the fuck is that shit? And then they, you know, then they became Coheed and Cambria. So, um, and then they... <laughs> They signed. They signed to the label and then never talked to Jeff again. And now Jeff like, <laughs> fucking
0: hates oh, Coheed and Cambria. Fuck. <laughs> yeah.
3: So like you can't bring that story up around Jeff because he will get fucking pissed because he fucking hates Cohen and Cambria.
2: Yeah. No. I also fucking hate Coheed and Cambria. Um.
3: <laughs> me and Jeff have something in common. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Coheed and Cambria.
2: Something that something that always makes me laugh is uh, sometimes I imagine just how much. Claudio Sanchez just fucking seethes in jealousy when he thinks about the fact that Michael Michael romance got action figures made of them before hate. Before hate. <laughs> okay, move on. Um, Eighty four Appleseed cast on reflection. Ian Cohen says this list doesn't really do the Appleseed cast any favors.
4: <laughs> do you, Sometimes uh, I just don't know why he says things. <laughs> and
2: he 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 makes a lot of like caveats. About not putting in something from the end of the Ring Wars or Mari Vitalis, which are, you know, the more like traditionally emo records from Appleseed Cast, um, but I feel like it's it's impossible to talk about emo of this era without talking about Appleseed Cast. Mm-hmm. There well, there they, are
4: such, they, yeah. they were on Deep. They were Deep, deep Elm, Elm, one of Deep Elm's first bands, and like, you know, the the direct descendants of midwest emo like yeah going into the going into that era so yeah i i mean i, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't have chosen wouldn't have chosen that song but
2: same i th- think without apple Seedcast, cast uh a lot of emo kids never would have gotten into post-rock so yeah they're they're important but yeah no i don't think i would have i would have chosen the song um and I would have I would have gone with one of the safer picks. <laughs> uh, Eighty three Swing Kids, Blue Note, perfect fucking band, perfect fucking song. Truly the only Justin Pearson band that belongs on this list. Uh, kind of in in a, in the same way that without Appleseed Cast, a lot of kids would have gotten into post rock. I think without Swing Kids, um, a lot of emo fans would have never gotten into grind and power violence, <laughs> and or just generally enough. like. Or dyeing your hair black. Oh, that that fucking that that hairstyle, uh, that looks like you got like
4: the, shot gun, in the back gun, of shotgun the shotgun blast. Yeah, style. the shotgun blast hairstyle. Yeah. That's
2: it, um, it. I think Justin Pearson uh, maybe gets slightly more credit than he should. I think eighteen visions also deserves a lot of credit, uh, for for seen hair <laughs> You're not about
4: 18 visions. I'm not about. To, I'm not about to discuss 18 visions. Their contributions to scene hair. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: I I would someday love to write a book about the history of scene hair personally. But <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, swing kids. Fuck yeah, three one G. And I appreciate the shouts out to Blood Brothers plot to blow up the Eiffel Tower here. Swing kids are not sassy, but. Po- like the band that came right after Swing Kids, Crimson Curse, I think, uh, really helped invent SASS. Uh, uh, I'm always going to appreciate like a SASS representation.
4: The Swing Kids Seven Inches is, is another one of the my like f- favorite additions to this list. That San Diego the San Diego scene was just so amazing vibrant at that time. Yeah. Just like everything coming out was. The three one all yeah three one G and GSL like it was just it's great, and uh, Swing Kids was this uh, that seven inch was, just like perfect and then the the split with Spanikorzo, yeah amazing stuff.
2: Want to hear a funny story that may or may not be true? I, I I'm just taking Justin Pearson's word for it because it was in his autobiography. But the band Circle takes the square really wanted to get signed to, three one G, and the way they went about this was in order to get Justin Pierce's attention, they lit a bag of dog shit on fire on his porch, and then he chased them in his van like halfway down the fucking highway uh, before giving up. So...
4: (laughs) (laughs) That might not have been Circle Takes a Square that did that. It could have just been somebody, you know, playing a prank on Justin.
2: (laughs) Yeah, he did did say it was Circle Takes a Square in the book, but, you know, they're... Since he never caught up to that, there's a chance it might not have been Circle Takes a Square. Um, but there's your Atlanta-San Diego connection.
1: I need to button one like... one more time Just to sorry. yell at y'all. We are on pace for like a five-hour episode with no exaggeration if we go at this pace. So, like, I'm talking like a minute tops f- to get through the last 80, unless we want to do, like, break this in half. Um It'd be
4: okay with breaking it in half.
1: Breaking it in half. Uh
2: and when will that <laughs> guys it. be tapped to the other half of the episode
3: though? I mean, I'm around. <clears throat>
0: um
2: it's
3: kind of whatever. Or I mean, we could just like I'm okay with racing
2: through personally Just like
3: pick just like just like a minute. Yeah. Cuz if we do a minute, we'll have like we still have like an hour left, which is like yes. I'm fine with, but I mean, I I would I thought it was going to be like quick little blurb like one person and then like when you get to like a big one that you're really passionate about you take like another second about it but I you know yeah like no no antidotes yeah. or anything like that yeah I mean if okay. like, you get to like my cam or something or you get to like fucking Seisha or you know indian summer if they're on here I don't know if they're on here but you know okay okay I'm down all right let's go uh
2: 82 boys life fire engine red fucking song great fucking record Perfect place, really perfect song choice. Yep, Uh, foundational for Midwest emo. Um,
4: Yeah, I was gonna say this, like this represents Midwest emo and probably the best on the list.
2: There's definitely an argument to be made that Boys Life were one of like three bands that really invented uh, that that style of Midwest emo, Um, along with like Christy Front Drive, uh, Some Story Mountain. They were around like really early on. 81 one last wish my better half uh surprised to see one last wish on here because most people uh would, would just go right to the rights of springer embrace representation
0: mm-hmm.
2: one last wish is an excellent fucking band though this is an excellent record fun fact this is elliot from michael sarah palin's favorite emo band
1: <laughs> jealous into the interview with Gee on uh washed up emo I have not yet. Um, it's honestly an kind of amazing... It's an amazing interview, and they hardly talk about this fan at all, which I thought was kind of surprising.
2: Uh, rest assured, my stomach churns in jealousy whenever I think about the fact that Tom Mullen got Guy Picciotto. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, this, um, this is... The, the the One Last Wish, when that came, when that finally came out, was just, like, a great missing link in that, you know, in Gee's work, and it was, like, that... That collection of the One Last Wish songs is, is spectacular. You know, w-
2: w- once again, d- just kind of acknowledging the jangle pop influence on emo, which I think either goes unnoticed or is attributed entirely to the Smiths, which is unfair. <laughs> um, 80,
3: cast of it between Berwin
2: and Bryn Mawr. Uh, cast
3: that's of that's a awesome. fucking rule. Yeah, yeah, so good. Um, I didn't really ever think of them as emo i thought it was more like kind of post rocky but they're emo for sure i think um i i I think it's the lack of vocals for me that like makes me think like more like post math rock sort of thing but um thinking about it like their their instrumentals are very emo i just think it's the lack of the a lot of the vocals
1: also like 2008 is like before like is like right before snowing and algernon took off so it's kind of like I mean, not that this is like formative for like a lot of bands, but like it definitely is ahead of its time, sound wise,
3: yeah, I definitely agree with that,
1: yeah, and
2: credit to both David Anthony and this podcast for making me revisit the record that they did after this, which I think might even be better I um in the light, right yep, 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 but yeah, cast of it great fucking band <laughs> boilermaker slow down uh, seventy nine we're heading into uh out of the b- bottom 20 into the real meat of the list um this the section shuts out pinback as like emo which that's, i don't think i agree that's with that's
1: not okay
4: <laughs> yeah and also the pinback was they weren't contemporary with drive like jehu and honeywell and boilermaker i don't I, yeah that was yeah an interesting choice um but boilermaker are very good uh am i
2: crazy for always hearing like a grunge influence? In their sound? No, no I think no. I think
4: it's definitely in there. There then Boiler was another one that I was like very surprised to see on the list and very happy to see on the list. Yeah, they're not another San Diego, another great San Diego band that doesn't get the credit they're due. Absol-
2: absolutely, absolutely. Um, and they they always reminded me as le- of like uh, San Diego's answer to like later quicksand, actually. I can kind of, I can kind of hear it in like the vocals and the way the riffs are constructed.
1: Didn't we argue 78. Or didn't you Sorry, and uh Lauren ar- argue about Boilermaker on the first around the episode zero?
2: I think Lauren was arguing that the, that he didn't hear the grunge. I've been harping on the grunge influence in Boilermaker for fucking years. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah.
4: I think I think it was more of like a, a three three mile pilot sort of influence but that but it, it's definitely it makes sense
2: oh three yeah no you're totally right you're totally right i mean yeah fucking speaking of three,
4: speaking of Pinback.
2: back yeah <laughs> yeah speaking of Pinback, back yeah isn't it isn't that what what other bands has that guy been in uh
4: uh well the Bla- black heart procession Yeah, they split okay. they split they basically split into black heart procession and been back
2: Okay, cool. All right, seventy-eight. Me without you. Wolf am I and shadow. The this is an A to B life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So my thought is like, as long as me, me without you is on here, it's fine. Because I don't think you could really pick one song that's gonna like be the perfect fit for this list. Because there's so fucking many, and people always have their own favorites.
2: Yeah, but me without you is a great fucking band, Uh, and. Shout out to Nina for acknowledging How fucking self-loathing Aaron Wise is Always always great time listening to his lyrics 77, Heroin, Meaningless This is not the Heroin song I would have picked I would have picked Leave um, Which is my favorite oh, yeah, totally. I, think that, I think that riff is just A fucking untouchable Not, not just emo but like The entirety of Hardcore oriented Heavy music would not be the same Without Heroin one of the reasons I love this band so much is because they were one of the first true screamo or emo shirts that I ever got. Um, and people always ask me, "Why do you have a shirt that just has fucking heroin on it, you weirdo?"
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, fucking fantastic band. Like they're they're like one of my five desert island emo bands for sure, unquestionably. Do you think? Um, it, do you think they should be higher on the list? Uh, given what else is on the list and kind of like the goals they were going for. I don't know. Yeah. Um and they are like absolutely um I feel like that they might have even just been put on this list like for their influence more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, which is which is fair, but l- let me tell you something like if you're a fan of like songs that sound like they're barely being held together, um, like they could just fall apart at any fucking moment, but somehow they managed to get themselves the end through sheer force of will and emotion, heroine's up your alley. 76. Penfold, I'll Take You Everywhere. Penfold's uh, resuscitation and popularity is both one of the most baffling and the most heartwarming things about uh, emo kids discovering 90s emo bands. <laughs> but Penfold fucking rules, dude. Yeah. This is, rules.
3: This yeah. is the song, too.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Penfold's just a really fucking
1: good band. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Count your lucky stars did this reissue, right? Did they really? Uh, I,
3: don't know I
1: believe so. Yeah, they did. I didn't know
2: that. So you know, shout out to Keith for fucking putting his money where his mouth is and actually introducing kids to the stuff that you know, we I, I talked about the mineral influence on Empire Empire, but Penfold is just as big of an influence. Yeah. Maybe if only because Penfold sounds a lot like mineral, but you know, they had their their own really charismatic take on it
3: i think especially for this song the um the intro the guitar intro is like super reminiscent of like a empire empire song mm-hmm. especially so it definitely makes sense to me that that they'd be an influence watch their final show on youtube
1: it's great yes yes absolutely uh 75
2: lot of the last lost continent if you are going if you are going to put a lot of on this list uh i think it should be illegal to not put King Park.
1: Uh, Yeah. Honestly, this is a weird choice from even that album.
3: Yeah. I don't know. I I love Lottis Feud. I never really thought of them as like an emo band. I I thought they were more like a kind of post-hardcore sort of thing. I I didn't really know how to peg them genre-wise. I couldn't really ever pick a song by Lottis Feud. I think that they're full record. Like, I think you have to listen front to back on a record for them to really, like, get the full experience.
2: They are Screamo kids though. Like they were in line of the north.
3: Yeah. Okay. Mm. Fair play. I, I personally love Rooms of the House by La Dispute. I know that might be like a weird take, but like that's one of my favorite front to back like records in general. And it's by it's my favorite I, from La Dispute. I think Rooms of the
2: House is the popular take. I think Is it? I think my wildlife take is actually the the less popular one. I mean, I'm glad they're on this list. It just should have been King Park um, because that's that that's the song that like makes me feel like actually nervous every time it gets to the end just because of the master way that they build up the
0: tension.
3: Yeah, King Park is definitely the one that everybody, even if they don't know the name, they'll be like, oh, it's the one song, you know, and it, it, it's their song. I feel like I feel like that would have been the, the one for this list.
2: That's the Tumblr anthem.
3: That's the, <laughs> that's, <laughs> the Tumblr that, anthem. <laughs> I saw La, La Dispute and Tushi Amor, Amori at, at the, the show the other day. They've, uh, got some, they've got some really
4: good riffs, and they definitely have a lot of lyrics.
3: Yeah.
2: I guess what, I'm, what I mean by uh Park being the Tumblr song is that's the song you see the lyrics in brainflower font over desaturated pictures of forests. 100%. 100%. <laughs> Uh, 74 Oso, Oso Reindeer Games Of course this is the Oso Oso song um, It
1: has
2: to be Yeah. Uh, okay let's just talk about this first sentence For his second record 2017's the Unohan mixtape Jade Lillitree of Oso, Oso Wrote the best Weezer song I've heard since 1996 <laughs> It's a little bit of a
4: Why is
3: Weezer
2: <laughs> But it doesn't even sound like Weezer It, like, it, sounds, like, it sounds like Death Cab
3: I, I don't even know. I, I, I think that what I like about Oso oh Oso oh is it just sounds, it's just different from what a lot of people are doing in the genre nowadays. I think Jade is probably the best songwriter in the scene right now by a lot. He manages to, to make these songs that all sound different, but they're but you know from the first couple chords that it's an Oso oh Oso oh song. Like he has this style pegged. But it's not like some bands in the scene where it just sounds like the same thing rehashed over and over again. And his his vocal delivery is so, so cool and so interesting. He has this really like really kind of chilled out voice, you know, a little bit of range on him. Not to usually sticks within the same kind of like keys, I feel like, but um, really unique voice and just a really unique style. But such a distinct style that I think is really cool one influence uh that I think is worth
2: pointing out is that it, similar to the way that Jim mixed his vocals on clarity there's a lot of moments uh in oso's discography where uh Jade arranges the production and vocal melodies so that he is like singing with himself in this really like impactful oh, yeah. layered
3: way um yeah his harmonies are fantastic. I think that's another thing that I like that I that I failed to mention. But his his use of harmony is is very, very interesting, and it's something like it's, ones, but not a lot of bands do. I think it's really hard to
2: write harmonies with yourself when you're like yeah. the only person writing the song.
3: Oh, um, trust me, yeah, I definitely I definitely feel that. Yeah, but shout out to
2: Jade for being one of like the auteurs of this current wave of emo. It mm-hmm. um, was great. 73, Page 99, In Love with an Apparition. Not my, not, not would have not been my Page 99 pick,
4: but... Really, what, I, what would your pick have been? I think that this is, I thought, I thought this was a good pick.
2: Yeah. Uh, I would have picked either My Application to Heaven or Humans with Forked Tongues. Okay. Page 99 is my favorite Screamo band, though, so... um yeah, I can't I can't hate on this pick though. especially because, you know the fucking Kurt Cobain sample that opens it. Hell yeah. And the fucking hand claps. I can't think of an of another heavy band that no, actually that's not true. Every time I die in a Bolarama. The using hand claps in like a heavy song is one of my fucking favorite things. Page ninety nine are goddamn perfect. Um and I feel really blessed to be Facebook friends with Blake who is just constantly posting the funniest shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs>
4: <laughs> there's that there's that uh, that uh, scream out of stand up comedy pipeline.
2: Uh, oh yeah. Uh, except Blake is much Blake is much funnier than Jason from Orchid. Let's yeah. just be honest. <laughs> uh, seventy two, modern baseball, your graduation. This is the modern baseball song. This yeah. is the correct song to put here, yeah. I think
1: yep surprise it's this low on or high on the list
3: high as in close to 100 yeah yeah i don't know it seems like it seems like it should be lower i i i wouldn't put it lower they didn't really modern baseball never really did it for me but they're like the pipeline band until the genre right now like go to a go to a show like just go to a show and be like oh like what do you what are you doing here how'd you get into this shit Oh, well, I heard modern baseball on fucking TikTok or whatever the kids do nowadays. That's it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> TikTok is an abomination. It might be the worst, <laughs> might be the worst application of social media since the advent of Friendster. But yeah, credit to modern baseball for causing me to see more emo shirts than I would have expected at pop punk shows in 2013,
3: 2014. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. and a lot of people like you know, want to shit on them sometimes for, you know, for their, like, kind of pop sort of sound. But they were doing, like, genuine emo shit. Like, their split with Marietta was fucking awesome. All those songs were great. I've said this before, and I'm sure I will say it again, but to me,
2: Modern Baseball, whether they know it or not, because I think actually the influence that they uh, have said they take more from is along with the weaker dance like early say anything but modern baseball is like the update on the god's reflex formula i really hope people who listen to your graduation or Fine gray go back and listen to how i learned to unwind by god's reflex and just kind of uh see where that style came from
3: yeah actually i mean they're kind of now that i think about it like inadvertently how i how i got into the scene because we were like in a band that was kind of it was like an it was acoustic kind of like front bottoms rip off kind of shit and this is back in like 2014 i think and liam when i say we i mean liam and i the bass player for closure and um someone's like yeah you guys sound like modern baseball and we're like okay never heard of it so we go to check it out on spotify and the day we happen to check it out was the day that they uploaded their marietta split so we clicked play and the first song is like i think yeah utah by marietta and we were like holy fuck this modern baseball band is sick and like we just we only listened to the Marietta side and then we realized like oh that's Marietta and then that was like <laughs> like, oh shit like what else is like this and then I asked my friend who I knew was kind of into the twinkly emo stuff and, and he gave me like a bunch of bands so like in in a, in a non-direct way like modern baseball is, is responsible for my like my part in the scene which is kind of funny um, I hate
2: to be the one to break this bad news to you, Collins, but I think that person was like insulting you.
3: <laughs> what, you, you sound like <laughs> modern baseball. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think you'd be hard pressed to find a band in 2014 that didn't sound like modern baseball in the DIY scene. It is like when I I go on when I when I use when we used to tour, you would seriously every single band would cover some sort of modern baseball song, like, without fail. Like, I remember there was one show we played with this band called Elephant Jake. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to Elephant Jake. I've seen that I remember that, yeah. Yeah, Elephant Jake is is cool. Like, Sal is cool. Like, they're a cool band. But I remember they were like, fuck, we were going to cover a modern baseball song because we covered a modern baseball song. Like, it was, like, one of those things that, like, everybody sounded like modern baseball. It was just... There's something about the sound that is just—it's just interesting. I never really got super into it myself, but I—I I, I definitely see the the appeal.
2: Seventy-one, Seisha, Venus, and Bacchus. This is the Seisha song, right? This is the one. That's what I've always yeah. Ob- observed.
4: Yeah, it seems to be the one, and I think that Seisha is another one that, I, like, I think their influence is more important than. I, I mean, I you know, I'm I'm not a huge Seisha fan, but I think they were definitely a. A, a big influence I on uh, screamo or hardcore, you know that sort of hardcore going forward. And, is it the uh, vocals? But, you, you know what? I, the, the vocals are fine. I, I I don't I don't know what it is about it like that doesn't doesn't click with me as, as much as like you know you and I, for example. Like I think it just uh, it 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 seems a little too self aware,
2: maybe. Okay, I think sasha The reason Seisha is so influential is for whatever reason they were always the first name on people's lips when they were like oh please stop calling from first to last screamo listen to real screamo you know like Seisha and the result of this is when you uh, listen to the song on YouTube and scroll down to the comments there's a whole bunch of people saying like this doesn't sound like screamo at all. <laughs>
3: what is up? What is up with these vocals? Why is the production so bad? Uh, but, I think, I think it's yeah. impressive still that there are bands that are coming out still today. That sound like Seisha. Like it just like, you know, I think that's right. in saying that their influence is like is, is really far reaching. Um, I mean, like I hear Seisha and then I think like, Oh, that sounds like Wrist Meat Razor sort of, or like you know, like there there are bands that are still coming out today that I feel like are like hugely influenced by Seisha, which is really cool.
2: Wrist Me Razor is a weird thing to to draw that influence from because their earlier stuff sounds like Usurp Synapse, and now they sound like Zao.
3: Yeah, they um, now recently not as much, but for me, it's the the use of the octave chords, um, mm, the general yeah. like kind of. Oh vocals. yeah, they, they had the octave attack down. Yeah, yeah. and I love octave chords. I, oh, man, I love octave chords.
4: Same. I'm
3: a, I'm a huge fan. <laughs>
2: yeah. Bottom line on Seisha, I know they are the basic bitch screamo band, but they'll always have a special place on my heart, and I will always uh, treasure my Seisha shirt, which is a little boy and a little girl kissing in a grassy field. <laughs> I I, love, I really like that aesthetic. Um, 7D, Elliot, Drive On To Me. This... Is the best
4: Elliot record? Am I am I alone in thinking that? I mean, I I just I think I think everything they did is great.
2: Yeah. Um, oh yeah, no, I fucking love Elliot. I, I and I loved Falling Forward too, but Falling,
4: for, Falling Forward is one of my favorite, one of my favorite bands of
2: all the time. I've always liked this record a lot because I think it's like the concise, energetic version of Cross My Heart or. Um, pop unknown or like all the bands that were bringing in more experimental or art rock influences into emo. I think Elliot really took those and distilled it into like a more hardcore derived package. And I really, really fucking love this record. This, th- did this one also come out on revelation or was yeah, this on a different label? It
4: was revelation. Yeah. <laughs> Word. Yeah. X Ex- excellent fucking album. There's another band that like the songwriting is just like, intuitive it almost it just sounds it just they make it seem so easy to write the songs like yeah and the drummer and the the soundscapes and the way everything fits together is just spectacular
2: i'm glad people are on louisville now i'm glad that (laughs) thanks sorry louisville louisville um (laughs) or uh like, I feel like there's always been that little bit of, yeah, oh, Louisville had like uh, an important scene. Slint came out of there. Their contributions to like 90s hardcore and emo are, you know, unfathomable. You know, falling forward, uh, fucking guilt, endpoint, point. Uh, uh, just really fucking important scene. Really uh, showing out for, you know, the subset of kids who always showed up to shows in flannel because they just got off their job like working construction. Uh 69 Foxing Rory. This is the this is the Foxing song.
3: Yeah, this is definitely the song. Yep. I've still never heard Foxing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to this song, you've heard Foxing. Okay. <laughs> Unless I mean, you listen to their most recent record in which case like you've heard um, Muse yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have much to say other than like typical like trumpet song (laughs) yeah yeah um
1: i mean i I think this is an important song for this era i think it's a i don't think it needs to be higher than seisha though (laughs) yeah yeah maybe not maybe not and i might also have maybe
2: picked bit by a dead bee instead a little bit of a song yeah
3: it's good i think i think that's a little harder you know yeah, it's cool when you get into the genre. I think Foxing is a very entry-level emo band that's cool to listen to for the first couple maybe months or whatever you, you're into the genre, and then I feel like you kind of move on into different stuff.
2: I wonder how many listeners don't realize that, like, the narrator of the song is not actually Connor Murphy. Like, yeah. That the like the main character of Rory is not a good person. Hmm. <laughs> Sixty-eight gray matter. Burn no bridges. Kyle, what do you mean that you never saw gray matter as emo?
1: I've never heard them referred to as emo. I've only I've only seen them as like punk slash hardcore stuff.
2: No, okay. no, like the, they them and like uh like beef were always like the like the tra- traditional deep cuts to mention after you brought up like or rights of spring and embrace like for revolution okay. summer bands
1: revolution summer jesus <laughs> um, but does revolution summer like strictly imply emo yes i mean it was it, it was
4: still it was still really hard i mean it was still really like more of a hardcore scene it wasn't you know i think that gray matter has some of the elements th- that made rights of spring and embrace emotional hardcore but they're still definitely more of a hardcore band.
2: Yeah, I but I do think like their influence is like inextricable from the DNA of emo like
4: Oh, yeah, um, of course. And, that, and that's that's why the that's why I thought it was so important that the Ian McKay quote should have, you know, the full.
2: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've I've completely turned around on uh, my assessment of your assessment. I agree with you fully. Um uh, <laughs> Sixty-seven Sarge Beguiling, this might be the the one band on this list that I hadn't actually heard of. Same, uh, like I
4: had to and, Google. This was, and... Yeah, this was a really surprising pick. I and and I and also the right the right song in my opinion to choose. Um, it's 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 great. I I love it, and it's it's like the poppy Midwest emo, and it and it's uh you know it has it has uh nods to braid and. Like the, their uh, their relationship, so it's like it's a it's actually very and a very emotional song, as well as like just this great emo pop song. Word,
2: yeah, no, I I ended up really fucking loving the song. Um, so again, fucking Nina is coming yeah. out of this list with like some of the best cred, just hitting it, <laughs> yeah, hitting it out
4: of the, the hitting it out of the park. Her um, her her.
2: Her emo credit rating is quickly heading towards 800. <laughs> uh, 66, Knapsack Courage Was Confused. Not my knapsack pick. Not mine either. Yeah, I would
4: have picked Skip the Details. Sunday Side of the Street would be mine, but...
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess that's, you know... Every time I say this isn't the song I would have picked, I realize that I'm basically just splitting hairs of a hair of a hair of a hair. You know? <laughs> I really should just be happy that fucking Knapsack and Page 99 are in a list of the 100 greatest emo songs of all time on (laughs) (laughs) Vulture.com.
1: Is it kind of shocking that Blair's other band is higher than this band?
4: Yes. I thought that was shocking. Yeah, that was shocking. I I feel like Knapsack and Jealous Sound should have switched places on the, Mm -hmm. the rankings.
2: Had they formed a few years later, Knapsack would have been Jimmy Eat World. Didn't Jimmy Eat World form around the same time if not slightly before knapsack uh i think knapsack might have been before
3: it says that they were formed in 93 on wikipedia from what i just looked up so
2: Uh, and i also don't know if i agree with that just because blair's voice is much like readier uh than than jim's not in an unpleasant way but definitely in like a less pop accessible way 65 fuel q to you uh sarah kirsch is in my top five hardcore songwriters of all time um i think she was an actual musical genius and i'm very sad that she's not contributing to the scene anymore um rest in peace but fuel maybe next
4: to navio forge is her crowning achievement in my opinion i i think i think navio forge should have been on the list but really happy that fuel made it on here um, yeah. yeah sarah's sarah's bands there wasn't a bad band that Sarah was involved in, and i got i got i was lucky enough to see m- multiple Sarah bands, and they were just every single one of them spectacular
2: i I never got that chance, but even on record, you can hear like everything boiling over with intensity, and she has that like Uh, swizz blue tip derived of playing where the melodic lines are just played with such intensity that they like transcend even the aggressive limitations of hardcore into something like overwhelmingly passionate and her her death is a huge loss 64 Glockamora irrevocable motherfucker irrevocable. Irrevocable, right?
3: <laughs> irrevocable.
2: I've heard it both ways to be
3: honest. Yeah, I've actually heard both, so.
2: Yeah, well, last time uh we talked about this record, Kyle said irrevocable, and I was like I really always thought it was irrevocable. But
3: I like I like you know, the I like the former for some reason. I think it just sounds cooler, but that's just me. It
2: it has a harder time coming off my tongue. Irrevocable. Um It sounds sick, I don't know. Irrevocable just sounds like <laughs> <laughs> this is the song anyway that's that's our spiel on that's our spiel on Glockamora uh, should this
1: have been higher?
2: I almost feel like this should have been higher
1: I don't know yeah it could have been just because I think it's like one of the best guitar uh, displays
3: of Twinkle ever Yeah, I think if you wanted to show somebody if someone's like what is Twinkly Guitar you would show them this or like Algernon or I mean, obviously, American football would be a good one. But I think, like, this is peak revival. Yeah, just kind of those breathless, interlocking
2: twinkle guitar runs. Yeah, yeah, just amazing band. Um, And, you know what? I know Zach didn't want to come talk about this on the pod because he's a little embarrassed of his past work. But if anything has shown that he... He shouldn't be embarrassed of this record. It's the the fact that they are constantly name-checked as one of the best bands of this era. And this is, uh, inarguably a classic record. 63, Tiger's Jaw, I Saw Water. Hell yeah. There's, there's definitely some, like, hair-splitting as to whether or not Tiger's Jaw is emo. Um... But I I feel like this era of them, in particular, is like inseparable from the scene.
4: Yeah, I feel, yeah. I feel like I feel like they have like a a place on this list for sure. I think,
1: I think everyone loves this band. Like I think they're like they might be like the most name-checked emo band on Axta Grind or like contemporary emo name-checked band on Axtagrind and they and they ride for Tiger Straw. I don't know. Maybe a little high on the list, though.
3: Yeah, I think it's another one of those bands that that is kind of essential for the for the beginner to to check out. I feel like, um, you know, oh, I really like pop punk, but I heard emo is cool. What should I listen to? And Tiger's Jaw is one of those bands that comes up very, very frequently.
1: Good song.
2: They're the quintessential uh, core cred pop punk band, like of the last ten years, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I I think this is the perfect spot on this list, like kind of right under the top fifty because, you know, after this I feel like Tiger's Tiger's Jaw became a really consistent band, but never a fantastic band. I also am not sure if I would pick I Saw Water, and this is actually a valid hair split because <laughs> Plane versus Tank versus Submarine and Never Saw It Coming uh, both are I think more anthemic in the game.
1: Which one's the um, Lie to
2: me song?
3: Oh uh, that's Plain Plain. Okay. Plain Plain versus yeah. Submarine. Never Saw It Coming was the first Tiger's Shaw song that I ever heard. So like I think of it as like the song, but I thought they were like when I first listened to it in like 2011 or something, I thought they were like an acoustic band just because I'd only heard this song. <laughs> I think that I saw water is probably like I think that's the right one for me. Okay. I get,
2: I felt just like Brian Jones, just that one line stuck in my head like twice a week. So I can't, I can't complain much about it. Uh, 62, Something Corporate, Constantine. This is not (laughs) the correct Something Corporate song. Um, I I feel like it might be here, if only because of the Jimmy World reference. (laughs) Um, But...
1: If you see Jordan is the best something corporate song, right? <laughs> Do you think that this list would have been better just without something corporate? Because that's how I feel.
3: <laughs> I, I I feel like it'd be hard. I think that you have to you have to at least mention Andrew McMahon in a list of top 100 emo songs. I don't no, know. You don't. I don't know. <laughs> I just think Andrew McMahon is a fantastic songwriter.
2: Was well, that one Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness song where he's like been all around the world in a punk rock band? I mean, uh, I feel like you might be overselling yourself a little bit there, Andrew. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness, I will say, kind of loses me at certain points, but I don't know. I Jacks. But Mannequin you're a big fan. Jacks Mannequin, yeah. Huge Jacks Mannequin fan. So, I I, I that's why I, I'm I'm obviously biased, but I'm a huge huge Jacks Mannequin fan.
2: I I think this song is just like, it's not bad, but it is like the epitome of weepy bullshit that I wish uh, emo never got associated with. And if you wear a Something Corporate t-shirt, I automatically assume that you have like Billy Joel's greatest hits on vinyl, CD, and cassette. <laughs> uh, we got to move on because I know Seth's got a lot to say uh
4: 61 Weezer tired of sex <laughs> it, it, like I just want music writers to stop putting Weezer on emo lists that's like the main thing about this is it, it, it's at best revisionist history to say that Weezer's an emo emo band or had any like influence on emo or and 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 like it just doesn't. They were a corporate rock band, and that and that's fine. And they were great. And I, I mean, I, I love Pinkerton, but it was, it was not. Then nor, nor is it now emo. I don't understand why music writers just want to make it a thing so badly. They're on every emo list, and they, they were just a rock band, like in in a in a much bigger way than like you know Jimmy Eat World, who didn't want to be called emo and were like, we're just a rock band, but they like Weezer literally wasn't, it didn't have any connection. And and no, and, they and Ian Cohen even says that like they weren't. And then he goes on, like, why why would if you if you're gonna say that they weren't, why would you go on and make a case that they were somehow?
2: Uh, they're cheap trick and pixies like and heavy all mixed together for 1994 power pop, and it's completely okay to not put that in the emo world. I feel like the only reason they ever got associated with emo is because of Pinkerton's like confessional lyrics.
4: I... Lots of lots of other stuff has confessional lyrics. Like, like yes. you, don't, you don't need
2: to like 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 uh... Okay, let's let's call Jeff Buckley's Grace like an essential emo record. Yeah, exactly. That makes just as much sense. Right. Um okay, I I'm actually going to contradict what I said earlier. Um I feel like we actually should do this list in two parts. I think we should hit 50 <laughs> and
3: Yeah, I was kind and of
2: the cuz it's now like we're over 2 hours in. <laughs> we, everyone was right. This was absolutely always going to be a five-hour episode.
4: It's a, I mean, it's it's a hundred songs. That's a lot to talk about.
2: So, with our with our Weezer bashing out of the way, number sixty, I hate myself to a husband at war. Um, this isn't the I hate myself song. I feel no. like Captain of Flood with the captain of the cheerleading team is is the I hate myself song. It's I I do think it's impossible to talk about emo and screamo without talking about i hate myself um i do enjoy that david anthony here acknowledges that i hate myself marketed themselves maybe not marketed themselves but tried to convince people that i hate myself was a joke band because they were every cliche of emo and screamo at the time like ratcheted up to 11
4: in a good way
2: don't get me wrong
4: this i hate myself this song is another one that pops up that is like a, a music writer favorite to put on lists the influence of I Hate Myself I don't feel was as wide-reaching and as as big as people like to write about now I, it, they weren't they weren't as 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 big of a deal as it people would have you believe yeah, <laughs> With yeah. These, yeah so.
2: but they are really good
4: they're great uh, they're, yeah that, that album that album's amazing i but yeah i, I feel like their their influence is, is a little
2: overblown
4: overblown because they
2: point. were they were not as big as people think now think they were yeah exactly um even a florida scene like i uh, people will probably be willing to acknowledge that like hot water music was much bigger than they were but I don't think people understand that, like, in the context of the Florida scene, I Hate Myself was literally like a pimple on Hot Water Music's ass. <laughs> like, but all all the love and appreciation towards I Hate Myself. And shout out to D. Hoffnung, uh, which was also a really, really good band. Um, and I think kind of carved out a more serious niche of uh i hate myself's music
1: what bands are people saying are influenced by i hate myself
4: that's another thing uh, is they never I, I don't feel like anybody ever like connects the dots that far they just say that they're influential and then move on and and that's yeah. a, that's, that's always yeah that's always yeah. one of the things i'm like you know they i mean people listen to them and they were good but i don't it wasn't uh they weren't a like a huge name at the time. They were just another. They were another band, and they were good. But that was it.
2: <laughs> I I think it's fitting that uh, that statement was accompanied by a siren because the emo police is definitely <laughs> descending <laughs> upon the century. <laughs> All right. Do you want to move on to number fifty nine? Say anything alive with the glory of love. Would love to. Would love to. Um. <laughs> So Say Anything literally has a shirt that says you don't have to be Jewish to, like, say anything. But I have always been of the opinion that if you are Jewish, say anything just kind of makes uh, a little bit more sense, but enough so that something, like, really clicks. There's, like, all sorts of, like, his tortured relationship with his own sexuality and uh, just kind of, like ironic detachment mixed with self-loathing mixed with earnestness it just kind of like really speaks to cultural jewishness especially of like the late 90s early 2000s flavor um and it's something you can also see represented in like seth cohen of the oc if seth cohen started an emo band i don't think it would sound too dissimilar from anything and yet and yet despite all of that and despite the fact that the song is about the Holocaust, I don't think this is the representative of "Say Anything" song, and I think "Admit It" would be a much, much better pick here.
0: Hmm.
3: I love "Say Anything." Their favorite record of mine is definitely the self-titled. I don't know, like, if that's like a weird take, but the self-titled for me just does it. I, I can't really speak to anything that you really said. I don't, I don't have any experience with that, but I think "Alive with the Glory Love" is a pretty solid representation of say anything yeah but it
2: it's aside from every man has a molly this is like the most straightforward rock song on it as a real boy and every other song kind of has like this uh this expansive more progressive element to it um that i think is a little bit less represented here but yeah this is definitely the emo night track
1: yeah absolutely yeah i'll take your wager of uh admit it and i'll ante up with whoa for the best representative
2: oh whoa is a fantastic fucking song yeah yeah okay i think i can i would be able to get down with that pick i i i think max bemis uh it gets misconstrued as a lyricist a lot. There's a big movement on like emo Facebook right now of just like saying anything is bad. And
3: <laughs> I don't think that's fair at all. <laughs> they have no, bad albums it,
2: and bad tracks, but they definitely do. But like everything up to including is a real boy is like a high watermark of this genre. And a lot of the lyrical conceits are a bit more sophisticated than people give them credit for. Like every man has a Molly, I think probably could be construed as like a a classic, like, Oh, bitch done me wrong. Like misogynistic, uh, emo pop track. But I, I think it's actually more about like the weird relationship between emotional intimacy and marketing that like as, as part of, uh, your band's image. And it's something that is, kind of elaborated further on in like little girls uh, which Max Bemis has said is about like emo frontmen and how predatory they are but yeah a really really fucking smart record all around um, and a really good band I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan
1: yeah. the Jazz June
2: the scars to prove it I don't listen to the Jazz June and that's that's absolutely a mistake um this is a good record Uh yeah, yeah i i listened to this record after this list came out and i was like i have been missing out on the jazz june for sure they were
4: a, they were really they were a really really good live band and uh took the the midwest kind of like mathy pop emo stuff in a really good direction the the emo revival s- sort of sound um you know a direct descendant of what the Jazz June was doing. I thought that it was oh, a, sure. a good addition to the list.
1: I think this uh, is a tad bit too high.
4: Yeah, I, I I I'm I'm with you on that one. I would have I would have they Jazz June shouldn't be above knapsack at all.
1: Right. Oh for
4: sure. For sure.
1: Have you listened to um, the to the newer
4: album? It doesn't have the same it, it it doesn't have the same like urgency as the yeah. older Test june albums i yeah. feel like it's it's, it's kind of sluggish uh-huh. doesn't feel uh it doesn't feel passionate which you know probably happens to boys at that age yep <laughs>
2: 57 snowing sam rudick this is too low they too low like i i feel like snowing should be much closer in proximity to algernon on this list both because their popularity and influence is much closer to that band and because they were just so fucking good. Honestly, like, picking a Snowing song is, you know, a fool's errand. So I can't I can't really shit on, on this pick.
1: Although, uh, pump fake is, yeah, like... Yeah. Pump fake is, like, the never-meant for this band. The, this, I...
2: Really, I'm just hung up on the fact that it's so low at 57. Like, not even top 50. That feels almost disrespectful to me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to, like, overblow this band. But, like, yeah, I think, like, I think this is, like, a top 20. Yeah.
2: Big time. Big time. I have always appreciated Snowing for being a little bit messier uh, and more raw than even like this already messy and raw era of the emo revival. Um, And the fact that John's vocals are such like an acquired taste, I think only like adds to their intensity. Mm -hmm. Hey Seth, do you have any, do you have any relation to snowing? Do you have Uh,
4: any? Yeah, I, I, I I like snowing. Um, And I, I think as far as like that, as far as like the emo revival quote unquote era, I, that, like they, they're as important as Algernon or Glacomora, So I don't, I think that they, could have been a little uh, higher up on the list.
2: Yeah. What about you, Collins?
3: Um, <clears throat> Snowing was one of the first bands that I listened to of the genre. Um, when my when my buddy, you know, when I asked him about uh, you know, what is what is emo? What is twinkly emo? This is one of the first bands he sent me. So, um. I definitely uh um appreciate them for that um i i will say like i never really it never really clicked with me super hard like some of their songs did um um important things and like clicked with me but other than that um you know this isn't a band i'll sit down and listen to a lot but obviously like it's a band that if i hear i'll i'll jam it but um, I do think it should have been higher on the list just because of its influence on the genre as a whole. Um, and I don't think we can get through this band without talking about that weird-ass fucking reunion show. Um, uh, the, none of that was Snowing's fault. I feel like it
2: should Snow come down... Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of people were, like, mad at them, but I, I feel like... <laughs> If you're in a situation where you're jumping around while listening to a band might cause the floor to cave in and the band asks you to stop, you are the assholes for not doing that.
3: I think that it's so easy to be like, well, you know, I'm just having fun. And, and you know, first of all, the promoters fucked up because they shouldn't have booked a band like stowing in a venue like that. Um yeah secondly like be respectful of the venue and be respectful of the band the band doesn't owe you anything the band didn't write these songs for you like you know it's it's their thing so if they ask you to you know chill out and respect yourself respect the other people in the venue i think you do that i don't think if you're unless i think if you're I, i don't think if you're in a band you can really get how frustrating some of that stuff can be and from what i've seen on the video and what i've heard it does seem like people were bumping into the bass and unplugging it. And I will say, like, as a like a as a musician, the most frustrating thing of like ever that I've ever experienced on stage myself is like technical difficulties. And I can't say that if somebody kept bumping into my shit and unplugging it, I wouldn't freak out.
2: Yeah, no, no hate towards snowing on that situation at all. I think
3: oh, I, completely, well, I was I completely I felt so bad. I like under I understood like when it happened. I was like, man, that just was really unfortunate.
2: And I do think it speaks a little bit to like a lot of entitlement that DIY kids have now that like the the band is just supposed to like deliver on everything with no give and take from the crowd whatsoever. Um, yeah. and it kinda it kinda goes against like the intimate relationship that you're supposed to have. Um,
0: yeah, I completely
3: agree. I and mean, there's a lot of respect that needs to be, you know, it, it's it goes both ways. like I said, there you're not owed you're not owed any music by anybody at any time. You know, it's their it's their music to kind of I don't know, showcase and yeah. you, gotta, you gotta respect you gotta respect that. Yeah.
2: Um all right, we're coming up on like the last five tracks uh, of this session. Fif- 56, the anniversary the D in Detroit fucking love the anniversary every time I hear them though like I think oh shit this is where Adventures got like a whole shit ton of their ideas you know just that kind of like dreamy atmosphere yet really propulsive and energetic sense of dynamics and like the way the way the, the vocal harmonies come together all feels very Adventures-esque do, do either
4: of does anyone here like your majesty more than this record uh, as far as i'm concerned all things ordinary is their only song <laughs> <But it's, laughs> the anniversary has one song and it's all things ordinary and that's that's all i know
2: damn so you don't even like perfectly i think i, they,
4: I don't I, I, I don't know what you're talking about they, they, i think the
2: climax <laughs> of perfectly is so perfect
4: never
1: heard of it <laughs> kyle you love the anniversary, right? I'm a little lukewarm on the anniversary. I do think this is their, I, yeah. No. I I I can't explain it. It's just not my shit. I I always thought this is through and through their hit song, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the this is a track. I can't believe I'm more emotionally mature than anyone else here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess uh, I guess I'll move on because I can't <laughs> abide anniversary hate. There, um, there's no
4: hate. It's it's, it's not there's hate. hate. I, I their the, there's there's one hate. song is their one song is really good.
2: <laughs> I'm I'm just feeling really attacked right now and <laughs> I'm in a vulnerable place. Uh 55 Ignition anger means Ignition are a great fucking band, and I am again pleasantly surprised at both their inclusion in this list and how high they are. Because kind of kind of similar to like Gray Matter, I feel like they're one of those and also bands.
4: Yeah, they're definitely a Revolution Summer also ran, but they're but that that the stuff they did was really really good and um, just as good as Embrace or.
2: Can I can I just say like poor Alec McKay always getting fucked over by like <laughs> either his proximity to like his brother's projects that went on to gain much greater notoriety or, you know, like the faith being on the split with void and being completely was, overshadowed. Yeah. By that
4: that was, that was, a, that was, that was a rough one for poor Alec. The, the faith void split. You just, they couldn't have, they couldn't have seen that coming
2: yeah <laughs> is the faith void split like the the foundational text for all split records in
4: hardcore was there, was mean, there the,
2: like that before it
4: yeah there it was but it, it was I mean but it is one of the most important for sure as, as, especially be, because how how much better the void side is <laughs> oh
2: shit I, yeah i guess it's the foundational text for like one band winning the split probably right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah ignition fucking great band alec was also in the band three right yeah three is really fucking good uh, if you've watched that documentary salad days Three is like the band that has like the last song that plays right before the credits roll, and uh, it's a really fucking good song. And they're also really hard to find on Spotify, but they're there. You just gotta type in the number three and scroll through all the artists. <laughs> uh, fifty four. Hope for Us by the jealous sound. Yeah, this is uh, Asinine to have over over a knapsack. This is like putting fucking Hay Mercedes over braid
4: yeah right it's the, yeah <laughs> the, the the firebird sweep over yeah it's just it yeah. doesn't there's is, there's not this there's is, like, not,
2: putting the fuck, this is <laughs> like putting the frog yeah. queen <laughs> it's putting the frog queen over sunny day real estate it's just <laughs> insulting is there something to be said for this being like an attempt to break through into the mainstream um kind of maybe like the like the older miss west dudes uh Seeing like the ascendance of Jimmy World, and then like other bands influenced by them, and being like, "Well, shit, we could have done this," and then making a like taking a crack at it. Is there any
1: proof of this, or just because just how fucking poppy and huge the choruses are?
2: uh Yeah, no, I don't think this was. It yeah. was like a deliberate. It's not a sellout by no. any
4: means. Yeah, I think it was a logical progression in Blair's songwriting, but. It, it it definitely was leaning more towards uh, mainstream success than Knapsack was, mm-hmm. yeah. but that was also partly because like the goalposts had been moved at that point, you know, like yeah, Knapsack, when Knapsack was around, there were a ton of weird bands getting you know major label deals and stuff, so that it they could have been successful at a certain point, but then by the time we got to Jealous Sound, it it wasn't you know the the musical landscape had changed and
2: yeah big time, um, fifty three Rainier. Mar- Tinfoil. Excellent fucking opener. Um, I fucking love Rainer Maria. I, I don't think they've ever done anything less than very good, but this is probably my favorite Rainer Maria song. and the is the first one of theirs that I heard.
4: So, hmm. Really good my choice best. for a Rainer Maria song.
2: But there's two of them. But I would have axed the other one and put this one higher. Uh, really? If I'm being honest. Yeah. I feel I just, like these are both pretty logical that opening god damn it
4: like
0: <laughs>
2: yeah exactly it, yeah that,
4: that, it's just it's such like a iconic like it opening to a the, the track like it's just it's amazing and like it just gets stuck in your head like you're once you hear it you're you know you're all, you're gonna think about it every once in a while
2: you know whether it's rena maria or alkaline trio coming out of the gate with a goddamn it is just like it, It's such a It's such a Fucking mission statement You know like mm-hmm. cause that's one of those That's one of those really aggressive Like tone setting words I think like Like a statement of purpose and, But the way they sing it is so like Sweet and reserved So you have that like give, Like tension going on as well uh, I, I think Raina Maria is a fantastic band Anyone else have anything to say about Raina Maria? Because we're on the last two tracks of this episode. I'm good. 52, Lifetime, The Gym is Neutral Territory. Again, I think it's valid to take issue with the song choice here. (laughs) (laughs) Because Rodeo Clown and Iron Is For Suckers, I think, are both far more definitive Lifetime tracks. Um, And you also could have picked literally anything from Jersey's Best Dancers.
4: Yeah. It, yeah. I, if it was going to come off of this album, Rodeo Clown for sure. Yeah.
2: um, Which I think Rodeo Clown, just on the basis of it having been covered by fucking Silverstein, <laughs> you know, like that, I, I think if anything that says that, oh yeah, Rodeo Clown is the fucking hit. And... When you're constructing a list like this I think you have to go with like the the big song you know because otherwise it's just like it just feels uh asinine or self serving you know
1: do people consider like hello bastards like the most emo sounding of their records
4: no their earlier stuff is way more like yeah background emo. is like yeah yeah right um Hello Bastards is is where they you know got more pop punk and yeah. got more like poppy in in general. Yeah, uh, if you listen to like the Seven Inches comp-
2: compilation that Lifetime did, um, I think you hear more of like it's more logical to call them emotive hardcore. Right. And this uh, this record and Jersey's Best Dancers are both like squarely in melodic hardcore territory. Like. More directly descended from Dag Nasty and Gorilla Biscuits. Mm-hmm. Um, this is such a weird song. It's so short. It's like in between a couple of the better songs on this album. Come on, man. Come on, David. You can do better. <laughs> <laughs> and also, they're below Saves the Day on this list, right?
4: <laughs> yeah, that that's a crime. That's a, that, that's, a,
2: that's a crime. <laughs> <laughs> We were just talking about fucking putting Hey Mercedes over Braid. Like, that's like putting Foo Fighters over Nirvana, right? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Can't Slow Down is a Lifetime album.
2: <laughs> yes. And don't get me wrong, I fucking love Early Saves the Day. Oh, like, yeah.
4: Can't slow, Can't slow down's amazing. I was talking about it with my friend last night. It's great.
2: Yeah. All right. We're on the last track of this session. But I can't really think of a better song to end this with than Moss Icons. I'm back sleeping or fucking or something. Although, this would be in my top ten if I were making this list. If I were making this list and I wasn't allowed to change any of the tracks itself, just the order, this would
4: be in my top ten. Hmm. Yeah, it probably would be in mine too. Tony Joy's, Tony Joy's guitar playing is just—it it was such a huge influence. On, like punk and hardcore at the time, and like it's yep. just just a and like his his guitar playing and, and songwriting is is next level. Like he was he was on a, a whole other planet compared to contemporaries, and um, he still is. His 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 riffs are unstoppable.
2: Yeah, um, his work in Universal Order of Armageddon, his work in Lava. Even like the 10 seconds that he was in Born Against, like he just adds so fucking much to any band that he's in, because his riffs just scream charisma and scream innovation, and the emo twinkle is kind of unthinkable without Mass Icon,
4: right? Yeah, I mean, as as far as like influence, you know, going down going down the line for sure.
2: Yeah, and this and this is the Mass Icon track, like. When when Jonathan Vance hits the hits the scream, it feels like inhuman. He had one of the all time fucking great voices for this genre, just like eking
4: catharsis
2: out of every single orifice. It was
4: just it, it was just so smart. Like I, the hearing Mazicon for the first time was was a real kick, and
2: I I've heard. Some people say that rather than Rites of spring, they would consider Moss Icon to be like the true birthplace of emo proper. I'm not sure how I feel about that take, but I would be inclined to agree. Uh, if anyone wanted to make an argument for or against, I, w- I wouldn't make
4: that argument, but no, I, people do like to argue about things.
2: <laughs> does Does anyone else think that like if it weren't for that alternative press write up? a while back that a lot fewer people would be aware of Moss Icon. What was the alt-press
4: write-up? Yeah, I'm not sure about that.
2: They did, like, uh, alt-press did, like, a huge thing of, like, <laughs> underrated hardcore bands that, like, like the concept was, like, stuff that, like, laid the, laid the groundwork for, like, emo in its later iterations. And Moss Icon had, like, a sizable piece in there. And I think, like... Before that, I don't really see like any mainstream outlets acknowledging Moss Icon. Like Moss Icon were like the vanguard for music journalists, kind of ignoring all the space in between. You know, Right to Spring and Sunny Day Real Estate. Like, despite Moss Icon being like the definitive band of that era, of that bridge point.
1: Like, I've always thought it was like Moss Icon has been like kind of like a well-documented. Band, but like I always, like you, you know how Numero Group did like, that that whole repress thing of um, Indian Summer. I always thought that like, Moss Icon was kind of one of those bands that like, like deserved like the Criterion Collection, type of treatment. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: totally. absolutely. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: I feel like even. At even with their higher standing now they're still just severely underrated i don't know mm-hmm. i always bemoan the lack of moss icon mentions so i
1: feel like it's glad too... to see him on this list I feel, I feel like it's just a little too filthy for some people
2: i can see that but they do have moments of like real sublime melodic beauty um yes yeah.
4: Yeah, it, i think it i think it definitely is a little too raw
2: Just production-wise or like...
4: Production-wise and the the songwriting too, I think. Yeah, Yeah.
2: okay. Maybe a little like unformed compared to the bands that they influenced. All right, I can see that. And with that, I think that's the logical stopping point here. We still have a top 50 to get through. This is a three-hour recording session. What the fuck, guys? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for, for sitting through this with us and offering all your insight and input. I think this has actually been pretty good and,